Hey guys, welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorian McKenna. And today we're talking with Oscar-winning writer-director Tom McCarthy. I met Tom back when we were both doing Oscar campaigns for Best Writing, and he won. But he did let me hold his Oscar for a photo. <laughs> and after a successful run in front of the camera as an actor, Tom moved behind the camera with his directorial debut, The Station Agent, with his screenplay being nominated for nearly 20 industry awards. In 2015, Tom won the Oscar and a BAFTA for Best Original Screenplay for co-writing Spotlight. Tom has also worked in TV as a writer, director, and a producer, and an actor, right? You've also been an actor. I have, yeah. So hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thank you, guys. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for coming. I'm, we're just such huge fans. Uh, really Likewise, and, and pleasure to be on your show. My wife and I are both huge fans of your show. Oh, thank you. All right. Before we jump into our conversation with Tom, we wanted to quickly mention our Patreon, which is uh, a great TSL experience. Come on over. A lot of you have been asking about how to get more out of the show and um, get uh, more direct contact with Lauren and I. And you can do that by joining our Patreon. Um, so come on over and join our monthly workshops. So in addition to being able to join live monthly workshops with Meg and me, Meg and I, with us, uh, where we answer your questions and workshop your stories. You also get access to all the previous workshops. And uh, it's been really fun community building over there and all the great connections that are forming in the chats as we're doing our workshops. And lots of emails are being exchanged and sort of like forming writers groups on the side. Really inspiring. Yeah, I think I would just add, like, one thing I love about the Patreon community is it gives me a monthly check-in that I'm accountable to, to just be on a Zoom with writers, which I just really like. So if you're listening and you feel like you don't have that in your life, the Patreon's a great way to have a monthly appointment where you're just getting on with Megan, Lorian, and writers, and I kind of love that about it. So just hopping in. So uh, I believe, Tom, you've agreed to join in our weekly segment, Adventures in Screenwriting, or what we did this week. Yes? Yep, I could do that. All right. All right. Anything. We'll let Lorian go first. Lorian, how was your week? Uh, my week was better than it has been. I'm happy to report. I was after I came back from Italy where I was like full peopling nonstop the whole time. I got back and I felt a little disconnected, a little dysregulated, not being around people. I thought I was depressed, but my therapist said, no, you're just lonely. So I made an, a, an effort to go to this party in Venice, which there and back, I listened to the whole Les Mis Broadway musical soundtrack. So it was a very long drive. Um, so, good. so good. I know. I haven't listened to it all the way through in so long. And I was like, Great. oh, right. I, I love this it's whole concept. It's the best. Yes. Um, so this week, I uh, sort of got over myself and sat down and worked on something. I did some writing and I delivered it to somebody yesterday. And I felt pretty good about it. And then this morning... At about eight o'clock, I started spiraling and I told myself every negative narrative possible. I rage texted Meg about all the ways I'm terrible. I should just go soak my head in a bucket of lie. Like it was terrible. And I, my whole body started to get real jumpy. Like I couldn't sit still. And so I went upstairs and I told my family like, all right, I am going to dance really crazy to a very loud song and sing to Queen. I want to break free. And I just fully let myself go and jumped around and sang really loud. And they joined me. And then I felt better and I took a shower. And um, of course, I got the email back and we're continuing to work on it. None of the terrible things that I thought came true. But the connection between me and my body and like my thoughts is so intense. 
And I just have to remember to take better care of my body. I'm always talking about this and I can never figure it out. But I did take care of myself in that moment. That for me was active medicinal care to go up and jump around and sing and dance like a crazy person uh, because I couldn't settle down in my chair. I love it. I love it. Tom, when you turn something in and you're a director, so this might be different, but let's say you're writing something, you're turning it into the studio. Do you, are you the kind of person who like, I get nervous until the plane door closes and then I'm like, oh, well, too late now. I'm up. If I die, I die. So once I turn it in, I'm totally fine. It's before I turn it in that I go crazy. It's clearly Lorian when the plane door closes, then she flips out. Then I flip out. Yeah. Which are you, Tom? I can't get out of the plane. (laughs) Which are you? That's a good question. I think it's probably after the plane. Well, you know. In the work, I'm just in the work, right? So I'm not thinking about it until literally I have to hand something in, which I'm not usually subject to a lot of deadlines. I am right now, weirdly. I've had deadlines and I've been very cognizant of it. Um, But it's usually after I do that I sit around thinking about it and start having all thoughts. And it's usually, it's not so much I'm beating myself up, anxious thing. It's really just my mind is going ahead to where I want it to go. And I'm instantly like, nah, I should just go get it back because I know I kind of know what I want to do next, right? So <laughs> it's really like forward thinking. I, I've tried to remove the uh, the kind of, you know, bad negative thoughts in that situation. And I've gotten better at it over the years. I'm still far from a master. Um, any trick can you can tell that and if you don't have anything uh, consciously, that's cool too. But anything that you felt like you passed a threshold of letting that anxiety go and just thinking about the work, really? Uh, yeah, I think it is that. I think it's that. And it's just having the confidence to not feel like you have to be right or get it right. Right. That your that your drafts can be sloppy. They can be fat. They can be boring. Like, I think there's real benefit to being bored to allowing yourself to be boring in drafts i think so many writers try so hard to judge everything up right because of course that's the instinct right um and i think i'm more focused on just trying to be truthful and ground things at a certain point right and and so i think maybe just knowing that it's process and trusting process and then i think what matters is who you're working with right you have producers or a studio who understand that process and that if you become too result driven, um, you really get in the way of the process and the organic development of material. And I think that's always most important to me at this point, right? Just sort of like letting things develop at their own pace. Um, I just don't think it can be rushed. I think that's exactly what that. happened is that I got really, it's a conversation, right? I delivered the work and then the, we exchanged a couple of emails and it was conversation yeah. about a different, like, let's pivot this way or what do you think of this? And then we agreed on something. And I think that's what I forgot, that it's not a yes or no, pass, fail, you're yeah. a writer or not. Again, I was looking for validation instead of a conversation, right? Because I'm working with a great producer, right? right? I'm lucky that I get to work with this producer on this project. So it's like, I forgot that it isn't this monolith of a yes, no, crazy yeah, it's thing. Not it's, jury. Like it's not a jury. It's not a jury. We should, all, we should all take a moment as writers and writer lovers to praise great producers yes. uh, because there's not enough of them. And when you work with one who understands process and is supportive and still can push and prod and pull, uh, there's nothing like it because you just feel like you have a partner in what is always going to be a really difficult process. You know, no matter what, it's going to be hard. 
It's going to be hard. Sometimes when people say to me, how do I get an agent? I'm like, I don't know if that's what you want or need. I think you need to find great producers. That's what's really, they're going to be with you through and they're going to take projects through things. And so that's how I tend to think about that. I, I will say though, that's not to say, although I've gotten better at it over the years, going back to what we're talking about, I still like when I give something to someone, I'm thinking about it a lot. And if if they don't get back to me in a relatively short period of time, I'll spiral on it. I'll be like, oh, shit, I knew it. This is so embarrassing. This is a horrible thing. It, you, it, you have to have, if you care, you have to have that side. You have to have that vulnerability. I think yeah. that's an essential. Oh, that's part. so great. You care. Yeah, yeah you, I think you have to care. And I had to really hold myself back while I was waiting for the response of be like, oh, and I forgot to add this. And what about this? And this other thing, because more thoughts, because I like yeah. the project. And so things were tumbling around after I yeah. slept on it. And so then I was like, just wait, just wait. Like my, <laughs> in, my intellect and my emotions and my body, it was all like this big war. And then of yeah. course I took it out of myself, which I figured out how to alleviate. But anyway, how was your week, Tom? <laughs> Um, my week was pretty good. I, I literally today am in sort of more or less handing in two different drafts, one a rewrite for a studio and that's been a long time coming. And then one, uh, going out to an, an actor today, and I think will be my next movie. So it was sort of a big week. This, this interview snuck up on me. <laughs> it is a big week. So you're okay. turning two things in great time. Yeah. What's it yeah. like when you're delivering something to an actor? Like that's a very specific writer experience that I want to know a little bit more about. Yeah. Um, you know what? I usually have someone in mind when I'm writing things at certain point, and it just seems like an extension of the process somehow, because I've been living with that person's voice, you know? And I think at a certain point, you know, normally by the time I'm handing a draft over to an actor, I feel pretty good about it. At least I feel like it's close enough to what it needs to be that an actor will read it and see some value in it or at least understand what I'm trying to do. And so I feel like at that point, it feels like a natural, almost like a natural extension, almost like a natural handoff in a way. Right. And I'm, I'm really curious eager and anxious, of course, to hear what that response is, but it doesn't, and I'm pretty, you know, at this point, I sort of try to keep as few people between me and that person as possible. I'll try to go to them directly or to the agent being respectful of the process. Uh, but I will certainly reach out to that person and, and have some sort of dialogue and let them know why. Is there any kind of notes or insights you can, you expect from an actor or normally get Versus, say, another produ producer or another writer, like how how do, how have you found that actors approach the material? Is there any difference or no? They kind of really are just doing the same assessment. I think there's a big difference. I think and I think really, you know. Um, well, first, let's say actors fall into all kinds of categories, right? I've worked with great actors who take the script and they're like, there's my Bible and I will say these words. And I want to talk about it, but this is this is where I'm going. And then there's other actors that want to get in and have the conversation, really break it down. And then so there's all types, right? And I kind of welcome all of it. I, I welcome input. I really trust actors, maybe because I started as an actor. I think ultimately they're going to, you know, inhabit these characters and this world, and they're going to very quickly learn more about it than you do, at least from an emotional place. And so I'm really eager to kind of get into that conversation and have that discussion, you know, and, um, but certainly it is, it's very unique, you know, some talk about it from a very emotional place and a very visceral place. Others come at it sort of intellectually and, and, and there's many ways they can approach it, you know, um, 
But I, man, I, I love that, especially after living with a draft and maybe my small team for a long time, I love bringing actors into the mix, especially the, you know, two or three actors are going to be on the whole journey. And I think that's always, um, you know, it starts to feel real, real at that point to me. So you're writing and directing this feature. Yeah. So how, when you get feedback from anyone in this process, you know, the writer, you and the director, you writer, director, you, these are like different versions. So how are you, or have you been able to like, I am writer director. That is one entity rather than the two things separate. Like, how do you get feedback from those voices? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's hard to completely shut off your director brain on some level, especially if you know, you're going to do the movie and you're seeing the movie as you're working on it. But I try to like stay in my writer lane up to a certain point you know, especially um, months and months and months from a pre-production start. So, uh, and working with an actor, that's sort of where I'm at. But once I start those discussions, the director part of me will start to kick in. It sort of has to, that's the relationship. And um, it's, it's a good question. Maybe at this time, at this point in my career, it's almost difficult for me to sort of separate the two, right? There's, there's real overlap. Um, But uh, you know, again, it really depends on the response I'll get from the actor and how they'll want to talk about it. Now, I always do rehearsals. I always do a week or two weeks of rehearsals, and I use those for a lot of different reasons. I'll sometimes use it not just for the text and getting used to the, the script, but also just so we can talk through everything, just so actors have a chance to really air all their thoughts and, you know, uh, opinions and problems. And, and it kind of brings us together in a closer way it begins that collaboration some actors push back on that especially film actors you know they're like rehearsal i don't, don't do theater it's not my thing i want to keep it fresh and normally i think when they get into the process with me they enjoy it and um because they realize it's really just exploration it's really just making use of our time and um i don't think i've ever had i remember richard jenkins when we were doing the visitor he was very reticent of it and richard comes from the theater and he was just, I don't, you know, I got, and then he was so into it. I'm like, you are such a nerd. Like he was just so <laughs> into the rehearsal. And I think it, I think he, it, it wasn't, he realized it wasn't about getting something right, you know, in terms of the script or in terms of the dialogue. It was just about another chance to explore, which is, we all know, there's not enough opportunity that in this pro in any process really. Right. I have a, I have a, a, a 101 question, which I'm embarrassed to ask, but I'm gonna. So as a director, you're saying I'm doing rehearsal. Um, my son is in film school and to him, that means learn how to block. Like where, where does the actor stand? How are we moving in the space and letting the actor block? Are you literally in a space moving around or are you at a table reading? Is it different how are you as a director, when you say rehearsal, what does that mean to you? Because I think for writers, it is important to know what's going to happen to your work. Yeah, it's great. And normally any writer I'm working with will be in the room with me for rehearsals. Uh, I'm a big believer in keeping the collaboration going with writers, with everyone I collaborate with, trying to bring people from production team in earlier to my process and people from the writing right through the process. I just think as long as everyone's playing nice and having fun and it's an open line of communication, it's tremendously beneficial, right? Why wouldn't it be? Um, with those rehearsals, it's mostly around a table. There will be times where actors will want to get up and try something. I, I remember on Win Win, Paul and Bobby were rehearsing an opening scene. We're just reading through it and it was this whole, Paul was having a panic attack and Bobby, it just started, they just started fucking around in the scene. 
And it was really funny and it got sort of physical and uh, in, in a funny way. And that I remember just being that time, but I, okay, that could look like this. This looks so awkward and so weird. And we'll end up somewhere here. We're already laughing about it. And it also, you know, when I see actors doing that, it's like children, right? It, there's a comfort in physicality and they're loosening and they're in their bodies and they're banging off each other. And, um, you know, it's like in, in sports, they're always saying you want that first hit, that first connection. So you kind of like forget about what you're doing and you just start playing. And that's where I think you want to get these people in, in this sort of place of playing and forgetting about everything else that the work entails. Um, so that's mostly what I use rehearsal for, rarely blocking. That's awesome. And play is so important. We talk about that all the time on the show, that as a writer, you have to be able to play. I think that's what Pixar taught me was was the play state. I think I agree with that, Meg. I think that's why I felt at home at Pixar, because... Again, I'd gone to Pixar early days. I just directed one movie, Station Agent. So it wasn't like I was coming in with this whole process. You know, I really didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just had a great connection with Pete, Doctor. And um, and I had a great connection to the story he was trying to tell, I felt like. But when I got there, it was like, oh, my God, this is like a world of weirdos. And everyone's just everyone's having fun and like pitching in and sharing and supporting and it really felt at that time, and I know it's a very, you know, it's grown a lot since I was there. Um, I really felt that sense. And, you know, Pete and, and, and a bunch of the people there do a really great job of keeping that going, keeping that playful spirit alive, you know? Yeah, especially with Pete running the place now, right? That playful guy that he is, right? So yeah, he's such a, so it leads with his sort of creative spirit, right? Yes. It's, it's yeah. not leading with a sort of, um, I don't know, an executive brain. It's reading, it's leading with this sort of uh, creativity and with his heart. And I think that's, I think that's an exciting aspect. It is. Well, I'll just quickly say, share my week. Uh, I'm working on a thriller project and I'm finding, and I think this is good that you get, I get so deep into it that I, when I try to come out of it, my body's all kind of jumpy and aware because I'm in this hyper state of thriller, you know, scary, jumpy, you know, don't trust things state. And it's just so interesting because I'm writing this with my husband. And so there's the thriller hyper arousal state that you get into when you're writing. But then there's also the lava, as we call it, Tom, on the show coming up because we're writing together, we're married, we're writing about family situations and marriages. And so that's actually starting to create a lot of feeling and a lot of emotion. And it's good. But I'm finding like, I need some space after you can't just like break and go to lunch and go talk to someone else because I am literally so um, yeah. hyper aroused. I just don't get so, oh, you know, don't you understand that she just had to burn the body or whatever? Right? Like, it's just like, ah. um, and I was wondering, Tom, do you ever get into such an emotional state? Not necessarily in a thriller state, obviously, but maybe uh, that you need a space before you can go and talk to your family. Or do you find that transition from writing or digging into your lava or the emotion coming up. Um, do you ever have any kind of transitions uh, thoughts? That, that's what I, I was just going to say. I, for me, the key word there is transitions. Like I need a transition. And what I found was I still have a young family. I have two young girls. And what I found was I, I used to be able to kind of work the day and then come down at my own pace. 
you know, or I would walk home and I walk my dog from my office in the Lower East Side to wherever I was living at the moment. And now, you know, I'm always rushing to get home to maximize my time with my family. And I realized, oh, I was sometimes bringing in all this energy, whatever, wherever my brain was at. And I was like, that's not good. They don't know what that is. They just know a big, scary man is walking through the door with different weird energies. Yes, Um, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I absolutely. And I realized I'm like, there's something about wandering, right? Like, I think we all think writing is hammering and it sometimes it needs to be, but there's something about creative wandering physically. I like to do that a lot. I'm a big walker. I ride my bike everywhere. Like for me, that's important. Uh, But I think that chance to sort of creatively wander in and out of your work and transition in a way is I've realized now is super important, at least to my process. Like I need that. I need it so that when I'm actually there, I'm th- I'm completely there when I'm at my desk. And um, if not, if I try to rush that or cheat it on either end, I pay for it in some way, you know. I and I find it hard being at home because it never ends and you're I'm dipping in and out and in and out. And then my kid doesn't know that I'm in and I'm actually working and now I'm in this other state. And he's like, I need 50 cents for this tomorrow at school and I'm like oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then he doesn't understand why what is energy flying at me it's like there's a crazy person over in my head talking to me so I'm really thinking I yes. gotta get an office because it's it is a really strange there I, it's very hard to constantly transition over and over and over and over and over and over um so just, I think just the something office that is, I'm the office is super important for that super important yeah just that boundary of yeah. of you know to come home and be present with my family. But I think the reason so you need that is you need a break from what you're doing, right? You need to leave it somewhere so you can come back fresh to it. Because when it's, you know, at one point I lived in an apartment in New York after the station agent when I was writing The Visitor, and it was, you know, a beautiful 300 square foot apartment, right? So you're just like bathing in your work all the time. And I'm, I'm a slow burn guy with my work. And it would like, I could never get away. And I got an office then. I was like, oh, I need a, I need that wander time. I need that creative break. And if it's always at the end of my bed or just beyond the TV, I'm never getting away from it. So I think, I think that is as every, you know, it's the time away from the work, which is just as important as the time in the work sometimes, right? That time to like, let it breathe and percolate and have those ideas when you're not just in it. Um, I think it's incredible. It's that, that's what feels like any creativity, right? Just that whatever that, whether you're writing or whatever you're doing. Um, I think to have that separation time is huge. The pandemic really broke that for me because I used to be able to go write at a studio, right? Where I would write. So it was good. So that driving time, but then having to be home and now being in that pattern and not being able to drive, like, you know, driving to Venice and listening to Les Mis while I was doing that, my brain was also churning on things. Yeah. And it just felt like, you know, yes, traffic in LA is horrible, but there are times when it's necessary to like be going somewhere (laughs) so that my brain can process things. And I, 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 yeah, I need an office. I need to be able to go and come back so that it's clear when I'm available. My husband will just come down here and like plop down on the couch and fold his arms and settle in. I'm like, don't settle in. I'm right in the middle of act two. You have to settle. What do you want to ask me about? I don't care. Just do whatever it is. Like, even if, and even if people can't yeah. afford an office to go to a, a coffee shop, or, you know, yeah. something that's your thing. Or that's a separate. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. So, Tom, let's get into some craft questions because uh, we really want to pick your brain. So I know that theme is important to uh, us. And I, I know from talking to you that it's important to you. What is this about and how that kind of starts to anchor the story? I'm interested um, how you get to knowing what it's about. Is it many, many drafts? Are you doing any kind of work or exercises or techniques? Or how are you getting down to figuring out, oh, this is what this is about emotionally or that rudder? Right. Um, hmm, that's a good question. I, You know, that is a very important thing to me. I, I don't feel like I have a movie that, that I can really dig into until I have some understanding of that early on, even if it means it's going to shift, which as we all know, it often does. So, but, but being able to lock on to something to start to drive me through a screenplay thematically is really important again, and it can be broad and, um, and it, 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 um, it can transform, uh, but I need that early on, but then ultimately Maggie, yeah, I think it is through drafts and, and as the people I've, you know, collaborated with some really wonderful writers and people over time, I'm, I'm crazy for that. I will come back to that late and often in the game. I will keep going back to it. Like, I'm sorry, can we just like write out what this is about again? And people are like, are you kidding me? We're nine drafts in. Are you kidding me? But like, I lose the thread if I don't. And so, and some of it's my own OCD. Like I just have to be able to kind of connect it. Um, so I, I think through drafts and, you know, it's, as we all know, it's a very humbling process. I'm working on something right now and the writer, I just got something and we we're both like, oh, we are such idiots. Like, why did this take us nine months? Why this feels like it was within our grasp <laughs> three months ago. And, uh, but you know, it's process. It's, it's, um, and, and I think that's, for me, that's the wonderful thing is time, time, having time. You know, I was talking to, um, Bradley Cooper and Josh Singer the other day about their new film Maestro uh, for the WGA. I was helping, I was uh, moderating it. And we got in this like really interesting guy, like they worked on that script for like six years. Kind of Josh was on it for a while, then Bradley owned it and they both were doing other things. And I was like, six years, man, what a wonderful time to percolate. Like that thing was just cooking and they were, you know, and we had this discussion about how when you have that kind of time and we always can't afford that because we've got mortgages and things and got to deal with, right? But some projects just take longer. And I think the benefit of that, if you can allow that, is like, you know, things come and go, right? They leave, they they ghost, they come back. And you really have a time to see that thing come together. And in my, I've, I don't think I've ever worked on something that's gotten worse with more time and work. I just don't think that's ever happened. I have. Have you? Your own stuff? I've broken things by taking too many notes from different, like, authors. Oh, that's, that's different. That's a very, yeah, that's how things break. Too many notes from too many people, that's how things break. I've learned. I'm talking about being in, like, the hole by yourself or your, or and just your co-writer and maybe your small team, the people you trust. Yeah, yeah. And that's never happened to me. Sure. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of what goes on at Pixar, right? Those guys, you're labeled. Yeah. I mean, you can also get too many notes, but they know that too, right? And they will say, that's a lot of notes. What what, what do you respond to? So as you're doing all those drafts and you're digging into theme and like what's at the core of it and you're getting better and better with every single iteration, right? Uh, where does tone fit in for you? Like, what is it? How do you define it? Like how on the page, how do you do tone? Um, good question. Look, I, to say it, I think tone is everything in a movie. I think if you capture the tone, you're a lot of the way there. 
You know, it's a big, both as a writer and then directorially. And that, and those two need to marry, you know, uh, and, and have a very good marriage. Um, I feel like getting it on the page, especially when you're working with another writer, it's really tricky, right? Because sometimes tone is in the smallest things, the rhythm of the language, the rhythm of the action lines. It could be anything, just the rhythm of the page. And I think when I'm working with different writers, and I've worked with writers with all kinds of backgrounds, you know, I think finding that together, just like a relationship, sort of starting to speak the same language on the page is super important. But for me, it's almost always based in dialogue, in character, right? It's, that's, where, that's where the tone sort of emanates from. And if I get stuck on something, I will go there. I'll start to find the language, the rapport between characters, char- what character might do alone. That's really tone setting for me. And then I can build out from there. Oh, I love that. I've never thought of that before because usually tone is so genre based sometimes, but not because um, it doesn't have to necessarily different uh, categories. Comedies can be a million different tones and that it's actually coming from that main character and their tone, almost their being in the world. I I love that as a as a way to see it. Most emerging writers mix up tone and plot, right? When you say, give me a, a tone comp yeah. in a movie, they start to tell you movies that are the same plot. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I'm that's talking about. That's not it. Yeah. That's not it at all. It's how would we define tone for our emerging writers? Because they don't really even understand what the question is. It's it's a how you want people to feel. It's how um, you feel in watching the movie. How can we help them understand when we say tone, what we're talking about? Hmm. It's like defining a color, isn't it? Um Good question. And I imagine however we report it, it will be heard differently Uh, because I feel like for me, a lot of times as a writer director, even when a studio is uh, agreed or determined to make a film that I'm want to make, like they'll really keep coming. Like, what what does it look like? How does it, how does it feel? Like they just really want to understand that. Right. And, and I understand them wanting to know that if I was an executive and I'm trying to see this movie, coming from a creative side, I really want to get as, you know, I'm going to put real money into it and real stakes. I really want to understand that tone. Right. And I think it's a tricky thing to do. I think that's the question they're asking for me. It's, 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 um, let me see if I can, I've never been asked to define it. I guess it's um, a deep and clear understanding of almost the atmosphere of the world, like the world itself, how people are moving through it, how they're communicating, which is why I start with dialogue, what that looks and feels like, how it holds comedy and how it holds drama, uh, how those will interact. Um, And I think like, you know, for young writers, I would say go see their favorite movies and try to pull the tone. Cause you're right, Meg, it really rarely has anything to do with plot. I mean, it's gonna affect it as, as sure as character will or anything else, but it really is everything around that. It's the atmosphere. And I think when you, when directors and writer directors or director and writer teams are working at the top of their game, it's just almost seamless. You just don't feel like there's a missed beat. And I think when we're watching a movie and suddenly we're like, oh, that was that was a skip or a glitch. What happened there? That normally is, is less about story and it's a tone thing. It's like a tone pop, you know? Oh, that's I awesome. A, I have a movie and I'm looking for a director and so I'm watching director reels. Yeah. And what I'm looking for is somebody's reel who matches the tone under it. Like they're casting choices. Like how are they casting young women? What do they look like? How are they moving through the space? But how does it feel, right? 
who do I think could take my script with their tone yeah. and like really bring it, bring like thousands of more layers to it, but yeah. keeping it, you know, from my script. And then I, I'm reading an old, old play I wrote because I want to do a staged reading of it because I want to fix it. And it's all dialogue, of course, but the tone is so shot through it with that dialogue mm. that when it's off, I'm like, <laughs> like, it's me being clever. It's that, you know, I wrote it 20 years ago. Okay. So yeah. it's, you know, but I can, because I understand that more now, I can really identify what's not in line with the tone. And it's so interesting to hear you talk about it because I've never articulated it really either. Like Meg asks that of writers, like what's a tone comp? And I go to plot sometimes. Right. So I'm like, no tone, tone. It's I like wonder if it's, if, do you think Tom, in looking at trailers that have been made of your movies, I would think a trailer would have to really be able to encapsulate tone. Or do you think sometimes they get it wrong? Like I know when we did home for the holidays, it was one of the saddest things for me is the trailer really did not capture the tone of the film. They The trailer was like turkeys flying and it was very, very broad. And I think that wasn't the audience that wanted to come to this movie. Um, whereas the movie itself is funny, but very much uh, family and and character. And there's moments of deep emotion in the in the film. So I felt like the trailer missed the tone. Do you think trailers are are... Do you, have you have you found the tone of your films is being expressed in the trailers? It's, it's yeah, I think I think the trailer conversation is almost a separate one for me, and it's a really interesting one and a really challenging one. And I think it's why it's difficult to get them right. I think um, I think when you work with a great trailer house and people who get it, or a great studio who has a great team, um, you feel it because they sort of do it seamlessly. I think that does sometimes bring plot into the equation, right, Meg? Because, you know, suddenly, oh, this is way more thrillery than I think the actual movie is, or this is way more funny than the movie's meaning to be. And they're, they are a lot of times being directed by a marketing team or, or, or some sort of directive that is that they're kind of pulling what they need from the trailer from the movie. So I feel right, like right. that is just another level. I feel like for starters, for writers, I honestly think it's one of the most important things as a writer is like, and I think that comes with experience. And I, I you know, I think you're, you, we, you know, you're right, Laurie. And we know when it's sort of, when something feels out of it, when it just really pops, you know, again, I don't think that's related to plot. I think it is very much tone when suddenly a character says something you're like, Oh, that's just doesn't even sound like the language, you know, doesn't sound like the language of the world, not just the dialogue. And what it also was pointing out to me, uh, not just that the tone was off, but that the plot was actually broken under it. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I veered from tone in order to go down a weird thing. And I was like, but that doesn't fit in the story either. So yeah. for me, and then I was like, Oh, I'll just yank that out. It was like extra bits that I didn't need. And so it was an, in, it's been an interesting exercise rereading this thing that yeah. I wrote so long ago. Cause I really like who I was as a writer 20 years ago. So this experience is really fun, but it's also like, Ooh, I didn't know what I didn't know. And yeah. sort of discovering things like a, an archaeologist has been really fun. But I did you, but did you see anything in your writing that was really surprising to you? Yeah. Good or bad? I'm fucking funny. This is <laughs> broad. This is a broad comp uh, comedy. I wrote it after watching My Man Godfrey, Thin Man, and I think All About Eve. Like it's about theater people, and it's this hey. whole weird, convoluted romp in a drawing room with like eight characters and costume changes. It's like it's nonsense. And I was just like, I'm fucking funny. And I have it's an ensemble, and I've got characters talking fast, and there are jokes everywhere. And I was like, 
oh my God, what I'm great with this. So, which is not something I would, I don't know. I, it was, a, it's just a really good reminder. So the surprising thing is, is I've been a really good writer for a really long time. <laughs> uh-huh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Even really good writers have to get notes. Even even Tom has to get notes. Yeah. So I love Tom, it. can you talk about getting notes? What's your process? How do you feel about it? How do you if you get different notes or you've gotten notes that don't, don't agree or how do you what's your process to start the next draft after you've gotten? Um, I think it's evolving. And I think in, in part it's predicated on my work as a director, too, in the an edit, right? Where I'm editing and sharing cuts at a certain point or bringing people in and getting notes, right? And I realized that um, if the studio or anyone handed me notes or an email with, here's our thoughts, I might read it once and then I would just let it go. And I would sort of, uh, you know, through osmosis and another pass address them. And, And inevitably the notes that really resonated with me that I thought, oh, that's really helpful. They stick in my brain. They'll just be there as I'm working back through the draft. And I think it's the same thing as a writer, right? So I don't really respond to like a page of like, we think here, it just feels that immediately just, I don't know, it turns me off sort of visually. And and it's not helpful. I'd much rather a discussion about it, you know? And for me, good notes win. I don't care where they're coming from. Like if it's a really helpful note, um, I'll chase it. But I think, you know, notes are tricky, man. They're really tricky. I've worked with a lot of writers over time and sometimes and sometimes editors, right? You'll start chasing notes and you're like, where are we going? What are we chasing right now? Because we're taking the draft or the cut to this faraway place. And I'm, it's like getting one bad direction, you know, from that guy at the gas station who said, do this. <laughs> we're all the way out here because you listen to the guy at the gas station. Uh, mean, and when I feel- you say chasing notes, you mean like following a note that didn't connect with you just exactly. to, just to follow the note. So like take exactly. The, all yeah. The really like this one note on a, on something character driven, or wouldn't it be great to understand this has led us to this place that isn't necessarily the most helpful. And sometimes it's just a lack of communication. Like my uh, co-writer editor will say, Oh, I'm going after that note. And I'm like, Oh, let's not do that. Let's, let's have that conversation about it, but let's not chase it. I feel like that. And look, I just think that comes with, I don't know, I guess, time and experience, be it a writer or editor or director, right, of knowing what's helpful. And and um, it's hard to see sometimes. I've gotten notes early on. Thought, nope, that is not that's not helpful at all. That's just a silly, silly thought. And, you know, three, six months later, I'll be like, damn it, that person knew exactly yeah. what they were talking about. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've taken notes where I was like, no, never. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we have to do that. Yeah. yeah. And then the, at that point, though, I think enough time has passed, Meg, where you can use it as your own. You just claim it. <laughs> That's right. I had this great idea. I had this great idea last night, six months ago. From now, this- Tom, have you ever in the early stages, sometimes I give notes either to friends or consults or whatever. Um, and have you ever gotten a note in an early where you think, oh, or I've seen this happen at Pixar too, whether you think, oh, that's it. That person is so smart and that's such a great idea. That maybe is what this movie's about. And then you go down the road and you realize, no, 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 that's that person's version of the movie. And I got to go back to mine. You know, how in terms of taking notes, even I guess what I'm saying is sometimes even though it's a great idea, it doesn't mean that it's your movie. Yeah, I feel or, that same pressure giving notes. You know, as I'm starting to work with more writers and directors and people making their first and second movies, like I live in fear 
of pushing people off their creative genius, you know, because we just don't know, you know, we just don't know. And, and I, look, I know there's some things you can be like, look, this, I can almost guarantee you, this will be helpful. But when they're prescriptive, like I think is what you're talking about, Meg, or they're like a really strong note, like it could be right. And it could not be what's best for it. And I think that's the game, right? Otherwise we'd all make great movies all the time. And we don't. Um, and I think both giving and taking those, it's really tricky, especially when they're from smart, focused, concerned, caring individuals uh, who really know what they're talking about. And um, it might not be what's best. And maybe that's because maybe that we, as the person writing it, don't yet understand completely what we're doing. Like we don't have our brain around it. And so I think feedback at early stages, I'm really careful about who I turn to for it, very protective of it, even at this point, because I think it's very easy to that end to get knocked off what you're doing, you know, and to get like shut down. Maybe maybe that play you wrote 20 years ago would have been your great play. And maybe someone at that point said, this is too funny. It is my great play. Yeah. Yeah. It's as you're learning. Or they said it's silly. It's just You're restaging it now. Yeah. Yeah, It's too silly. It's too many characters. And you thought maybe it is. So I think, you know, I think there's a real responsibility with that. And I think sometimes people can be careless with notes. You know, they can lob things out because there's a spitball. Why not? Why not? Mm -hmm. And I I think that's tricky. So you said you would be very, you're very careful about the stage at which you ask for notes and who you're asking for notes for. So we, can we talk a little bit about what your early process is? Like, do you outline, do you get notes on an outline? Who do you get notes for? Like where, what does that process look like from the beginning of an idea, outlining or not, or carding? And then at what stage are you handing it off to somebody in your inner circle for notes? Once I have a draft that I feel like is solid, I might talk through things. Like sometimes I believe in talking the story a little bit, you know, the, the bar stool approach. And I think early on, if you can do that, and it sounds like, oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, if the guy next to you wants to hear more, that you're on to something. Um, not every story has that. Um, but I maybe it's the Irish in me that feels like that's the right way. But <laughs> I feel like on some level that I'll do that. I'll start talking through it. And that's with a very small circle. <laughs> that's tiny. Um, and just sort of like hammering away. And then, yeah, I'm a big outliner. And my outlines are usually have snippets of dialogue and images and everything else in them so that the, by the time I sit down to write, I'm really writing off something pretty concrete. Um, but, and then normally I'll get a draft and I don't often share that first draft. I just, I too, maybe it's insecure. I don't know, or I'm just not ready. And I, or maybe it's like, I want to give my, even my early readers the best indication of what I'm trying to do with the script in the movie. Right. So that they can respond to that in the best possible way, because I think if it's too far off, then we're just sort of throwing stones a little bit. And I want them to really, even if it's early days, and I think smart readers can really interpret that. uh, I really want the film, that first draft to give them the best indication of where I'm going. Does that make sense? Yes. I I want to admit something on the podcast here. So we've been doing this for three years and I have been very, I don't write outlines. I don't write outlines. I'll write a barf draft. I'll card. Recently I started writing outlines. Uh, It's really fucking good to write an outline. (laughs) (laughs) I just, um, 
I just, it's like when I'm writing and I'm creating a pitch for a TV show, I really have to break down what the pilot is. Right. And then, you know, it's like an outline, I'm writing an outline, but a storytelling outline of the pilot. And then I realized, oh, and then going to write the pilot is so much easier. And I don't know why I didn't go like, oh, maybe I should do that in my own work. I don't know. There was some weird disconnect happening that I don't know if it was like a badge of honor somehow. I don't write outlines. I just go into the discovery process and I'm like, okay, stop it. You're being lazy and sloppy. You got to go do the work. So I was like, well, I'm going to write the outline. And um, I hate, don't hate it. And I, I, so I'm just admitting that as you're talking about like every. Are you right writer, now admitting as, are you coming out as an outliner yes, right now? Right now. Right, right now. I'm coming out Exciting. as an outliner. Exciting. It's happening. But, I feel um, like, is there a musical effect on the show? If there is. Yeah. It's <laughs> lame as, so, yes. It's, yeah. uh, I think it happens. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't sing, but. <laughs> a little but lame I, is right here would be just perfect. Yes. Can but you I, hear the people sing? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I just feel like I want to honor that because you and so many other successful and amazing writers come on and they outline and I've always been like, well, I'm special somehow, but I'm not. I need to outline. And so I've been doing it. And I, and this isn't to say that writers who don't outline aren't special in some way, but it's actually made my playful writing a lot more easy after the outline because then I'm not getting stuck in these like uh, horrible places. At the midpoint is where it all breaks for me if I don't outline. Yeah. Because I don't know, I don't know what the, what happens after. And I and I um so I do, I yeah, it sort of changed my writing all these years. Maybe later. it felt too academic or or scholastic to you on some I level. think it's because I would I started as a playwright and I yeah. with the play with plays, they can sort of be anything in a yeah. way. I mean, you still have to story structure, but it's less defined, you know, as, yeah, maybe, as movies. Yeah. So I sort of was like, I, I can do that because of this training I had, but like, no. <laughs> so congratulations to me. I'm coming out as an outlet. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about directing a little bit since we do have such an amazing director here with us today. Um, so let's just ask a very broad question and perhaps it's too broad, but to a young director, do you have any directorial advice you would offer them? Um and if that's too broad, we can narrow it down. That's um, too broad. Too broad. Okay. How, what would you What would you say in terms of um, Do you do lookbooks? How do you to your crew uh, start to explain that tone you're going for? How do you translate that? What's it about to your crew? You're going to go shoot now. Do you do lookbooks? What's your process? I will sometimes do a version of a lookbook sort of image gathering just for my own research. And I'll bring some of my keys into that. Obviously my cinematographer, production designer, costume designer, you know, I'll bring those people into that discussion. And I look to them to sort of disseminate that, what we're, what we're shooting for. I believe the script should be the best indication of that. Right. And I think it speaks to tone. I think if you read a really good script, you sort of get the, you can see the world and I think it's our job as writers to help people, including directors, to see the world, right? And um, I, for me, that's a sort of early conversation. And like, I will have it with my co-writers, you know, I will, you know, sometimes they'll want to jump ahead and talk about casting and all the fun stuff. And I'm like, let's just, let's get the world right. Let's get the story right. Let's really see it. Let's dive into the details. I think it's why research is so important. I mean, you know, we talked about outlining, but I will spend months researching before I really even get to outlining. 
you know, and I love, I'm a big document keeper. I'll keep various documents that'll sort of break my movie down that I'll go back and look at the closer I get to directing. I'm like, oh my God, this was such an early idea and this is great, you know? And so- um, When you say research, if obviously if you're doing a true story, which you've done, that I understand that kind of research, but do you research for any movie in terms of- I, I remember my first movie, movie, The Station Agent, and maybe this is how I got rooted in it. Uh, you know, it's about- it's, it's about trains to some degree. I spent a ridiculous amount of time at the New York Public Library uh, researching trains. I mean, months. I knew everything about trains. I did not need to know that much. I definitely overloaded on research. I knew everything. And I was so into it. I was like, it was the intellectual side of writing and filmmaking. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And, uh, and so that was an example. But it doesn't have to be a real story. Anything, uh, any I'm writing right now, a, a, a period, something said in a period, and I'm deep in the world of that. And it's not, not real, it's not a real story. Just trying to understand the world, understand the socioeconomics, understand the politics, understand character, understand what a newsstand might've looked like in this period, understand everything. And like, it, it inevitably, it's not just about information gathering and authenticity. Rather, for me, it's about understanding, understanding the world and the atmosphere, the tone, right? It gets all feeds that. And I think it starts to develop a language that by the time I start to share this script in this world, I want to be the expert on it. I want to know more uh, than anyone until they all dive in. And then, you know, you get the experts and they start to do their work. And eventually right. your costume designer comes to you and blows your mind. You're like, what is that thing? That is great. <laughs> you know? And so then, you know, but you're, what you're doing is you're sort of setting a bar and you're challenging very talented professionals to match or surpass it. And I think, you know, that's, that's the sort of energy you want to create, right? That kind of one-upmanship in the best possible way. I think of like, let's go get this. Let's get as close to the truth as we can and have a lot of fun doing it. Truth is such a great word that, so many great creatives who've come on this podcast have used that word to get into truth. Jeff, you had a question in this area of directing. Do you want to? Sure. You know, I'm thinking, Tom, what would be probably very valuable for our listeners would be to talk a little bit about The Station Agent. Um, I do love that movie. And I'm kind of obsessed with directorial debuts because, you know, they're scrappier and they're smaller and they represent a different exercise than films later in your career. So for our like emerging filmmakers who are listening, can you talk a little bit about like thinking about the station agent as a first feature, especially like on a very low budget and sort of what you learned about like that scrappy debut as a calling card for you, maybe for our listeners who might or be how to make in... a movie, yeah, how to or make just... a movie for $500,000. Let's just exactly. Let's just, tell yeah. just tell us. <laughs> Well, first wow. you go to the library and you spend months and months. You spend six months researching screen. one facet of the screenplay. <laughs> that one. Um, uh, well, you know, um, how to address, how to talk about that? First of all, it was a long time ago. Uh, secondly, you know, I came out of, I, I went to drama school. I came out as an actor that's what I was doing. And I, unlike a lot of directors, fell in love with movies you know, as a young person, but really fell in love with cinema in my 20s. So I was sort of late to the game in a way. And then I started to like really get turned on by it. And um, just the, the sort of almost the intellectual creative properties of it. And I was just super excited by it. And that's when I decided I was going to write my first script. I was acting at the time quite a bit. And um, I wrote Station Agent with really very little understanding of what I was doing. 
um, just full disclosure. And and then deciding I was going to direct it only because I could see the movie and determined to do that with really absolutely no understanding of directing, like none. So, you know, um, it was just sort of, uh, for me, it was just a creative exercise, like pursuit, like this is, ex- I was turned on by it. That's it. I didn't care. You know, it was like, this is exciting. And I really want to see what I can do. And um, I didn't, I didn't think much about it beyond that. Now that said, I started really paying attention, talking to whoever I could. I had some great people to chat to. I was acting more and more, paying a lot of attention on sets, being really annoying around camera and directors. And I got one or two uh, mentors who were really helpful. One was the late, great Sidney Lumet, um, who was um, at that time, Bobby Cannavale's father-in-law. And I knew Sid uh, sort of personally and, 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 and got him who was gracious enough to read my script and, and sort of uh, help out a little bit, help me when I needed it. Um, so, but really it was fumbling into that first, I, I look, I don't care what film school you went to or how much experience, or if you started shooting your super eights at, you know, six in your backyard, when you direct that first movie, it's still your first movie, you know, you, you gotta go through it. Right. And you gotta learn and, um, you gotta, you gotta adapt. And there's a lot, there's so many lessons to come out of that first film. I think that's why you're saying it's scrappy because you do feel that way. And to Meg's point, we made the movie for, you know, $500,000. It wasn't a lot of money. You know, um, I got paid, I think $8,000 to direct, to write and direct that movie. And it all went back into the movie. <laughs> My production. Of course it did. <laughs> and he said, we don't have the money to like age the depot. I was like, well, the depot has got to be aged. It's got to look this way. Remember all the, the lookbooks that I did. And, um, and he's like, we're really out of money. I was like, would, $8,000 help your problem? Because <laughs> um, I was so wealthy at the time. Um, sorry, New York's outside. Um, Speaking of but, tone, that's what we mean. Sirens outside yeah, the window. There we are. Right? Yeah, We're in New York. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, in terms know, of adapting, I, like, can you remember, or even now, I'm sure you're still learning to adapt every movie you make. Is there any advice for helping um, young directors, like, um, Jody's advice once was sit down. <laughs> it's a long process. Breathe, yeah. Sit down. Yeah. Um, is there any adaptation advice or anything um, that you think young directors do need to know? Or I think it's really I, my. I think the big word is prep. <laughs> Just there's not there can't be a minute wasted. Like the clock is ticking, no matter how far out you are, and the more prepped you are going in, because you know everything's going to go wrong at some point going to be a lot of fires and the, you know, you know, if you know your material and you know what you wanted to do, you'll come up with another plan and you have to quite often. And the station. Do you, do you storyboard or shot list? Some movies more than others. I shot list a lot. And even that sometimes changes when you get on location, you get with actors and things adapt. But what that does is uh, again, prepping, right. Going through the script again and again and again with my, cinematographer for instance and spending time walking talking about the movie getting to the locations going to visit the locations getting to know the town or city we're shooting in or the place and just absorbing it right and all that feeds the process and i think like for me when we're in the sweet spot when i'm in the sweet spot of my life it is just when you're in the lane when you're just in the lane of the work and that's all that matters and everything else falls out and you're you're not in a rush. 
you know, although there's a lot of pressure and a lot of time, but you're just kind of in that sweet spot of discovery and exploration with a really, really driving, um, you know, purpose, which is to make the movie. I just think that is the, the best. I remember when I was at Yale at the drama school, I was, I was an acting student, but I took some of these directing classes and this one a directing teacher one time said, you know, there's going to come a point where everything is crazy. Everything's falling apart. And, you know, to Jody's point, he's like, the best thing you can do is slow down, slow everyone down, find that. And like, I, you know, I'm a sports, avid sports fan. And I think the great athletes slowed the game down. You're always hearing that. You're hearing announcers like, look at the poise in the pocket, the poise on the mound, the poise in the middle of the field. Like it's when people who can slow the game down and see everything and, you know, we get better at it with experience. Right. And I think there's some real masters out there who can do it almost effortlessly at this point. But I think it is about that. I think that's what Jody was getting at. It's such good advice for uh, showrunners and parents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and writers. I'm telling you today, my brain was going so fast and yeah. I just needed to slow it down. Now I have a question from my son who's a directing student. Great. And he just wrote me a little note uh, to say, please ask Tom this, um, which is when you're on set and things start to go wrong, mm-hmm. how do you not freak out? Because you as the director can't freak out, right? Yeah. How do you meditate in the middle of everything going wrong? You got to lead. You got to. How do you do that? <laughs> um, with practice, like everything. Right. Um, and realizing that, like, freaking out is just about the worst thing you can do. Right. On a set, especially in terms of what you're gra- trying to grab on the screen. Right. And with your actors. And look, there are times that are challenging. I've been on some pretty in, in almost every movie. You're going to have moments where you're like, oh, my God. This, this couldn't be happening at a worse time in a worse way. And I think, you know, surrounding yourself team-wise with experienced people who realize, okay, well, we're going to figure it out. Just having that energy, right? And that comes with, I do think, experience and maturity. But, you know, to your son's question, there's a lot of times where I'm just, it's almost the same thing as a parent when you're going home and you think, okay, you know, be in that space where you can absorb whatever's coming at you in the door, be in that space where you're open and you have a sense of humor and a sense of perspective. Right. And I think a lot, I will meditate on the way to set. I'm like, all right, get my head. I don't like to talk to too many people. I don't like to do much. I'll do a little prep in the morning, but I really just kind of like get in that mindset where I know things are going to come. So when they do, you can absorb it. You can find a workaround. And I think, you know, with time you realize that um, there's always going to be those problems that seem insurmountable. And like our job is to figure it out. That's our job. That's why we do it. And that's our creative job. It's our creative pursuit. You know, I think there's a reason that we talk about parenting a lot. It's not just because we're parents. I think it's, I think parenting is an incredibly creative pursuit. It is. And meditative and Zen. And everything about life. So I think like, that's the thing, like finding that place and, And maybe ultimately, and I have to remind myself this, is like having a sense of um, humor and and having a sense of joy in the process, right? Um, And I think now more than ever, that's just a really hard thing to do. And if you take your work very seriously, it can be a really tricky thing to do. So I think you need to like find that balance and find that center 
Um, so you can do your best work. And look, that's different for everyone. I have no directors. I've worked with a lot of directors at this point. And man, they all have different approaches. So no judgment. But for me, that's where I'm trying to get to a place where I can communicate clearly, even under duress, even under pressure, even when light is being lost, even when you're not getting a scene and you're in the basement of some horrible building somewhere, uh, trying to find that sort of perspective and humor and um, realize like we're already winning because we're making movies. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. And I think that that applies to writing too. There's times that it's all going bad and you, it's due and you're suddenly like, it's somehow this moment is a ref, in your brain, a reflection of you and your value and your worth. And I'm sure on set, it must be hard because the actors are looking at you and everybody's looking at you and it's, it, you just have to stay with the work, with the, with the moment of the creativity that this is part of the creativity. So Lord knows that happens at Pixar where you're just like, I got to get out of my own way here. This is not about your ego. This is not about your value. This is about the story and just stay with the story. Just stay. And you're, and you're rarely as alone as you think, right? Um, you're rarely like, because you have your key, you know, collaborators, you know, you have your actors, you have your cinematographer, you have your production designer, you have your AD, like great ADs are a gift, another gift. You have your producers who you trust, hopefully. Um, and so you really do have a team, a support team around you, and they're all there with the same intention, right? To make, yeah. to serve the story. That's what you're there for. All right, I have one more question from him. I know I'm pushing it. I'm totally pushing it. I'm taking advantage, Tom. Um, What's your son's name again? Aiden, he's here. Here Aiden. he is. Hey, Aiden. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I pictured That's you down point. at some film school somewhere, not just off camera, right? <laughs> <laughs> he was. He just got home. It's Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. So his question, because you're not mic'd, is um, visual language. I'm sure for young filmmakers, you're trying to be have a voice and be cool and get that shot. But then you get into the edit room and you don't have coverage. So that balance between. Yeah, somebody might have done that. The balance between getting your coverage, but also finding a voice and you don't have a lot of time to get those shots. How do you how do you as a director decide that visual language for the for the story that you're shooting? Well, again, you have a partner in that, right, which is a cinematographer. Right. And so you can spend some real time with that person and having that conversation. But again, on a lot of these early projects, you know, you don't have a lot of time to explore and you got to tell the story. You got to tell the story. And I remember to, I remember right before I started shooting the station, I was probably like two days out. I'm not prone to panic attacks. I'm not sure I've ever had one. I have a lot of people in my life who had, and I don't think I've had one, but the closest I came was about a night or two before the station agent where I just thought, I really do not know what I'm doing. I am to use the train metaphor. I was on a runaway train. And I had researched them for six months, as you guys know. And I knew that never ended well. And I was on one and I thought, I remember I called Sid, Sydney and Lumet, and I was like, I gotta come, I gotta talk to you. You need to talk to me. And I got in there and I was like pacing in his office. I remember, boy, I wish I had this on film because I, you know, I must, he was a master and I was a baby. And I, you know, I didn't even know what to ask him. I didn't know what to ask him. All I knew I was in a full plant panic and I was like, I just don't. And I remember I said something along the lines of like, Sid, I have no idea what I'm going to do with the camera. None. Nada. I don't know where to put it. I don't even know what it looks like. And uh, this whole thing is it. And he let me sort of burn for a while. 
And then he said, um, do you understand what the first scene is about? And I said, yeah. And he said, explain it to me. And I talked him through it. And he said, what's at the center of the scene? And I told him. And he said, what do you need to see? And I was like, oh, so really the camera needs to capture what the scene's about. <laughs> and he goes, and then like, just to, just to one up, he called, uh, oh, what was his wonderful, was it Trish? His longtime, um, the woman he worked for a long time, she's great. And uh, he said, can you get me the verdict draft? Now for me and movies, that's like, can you, ah. can you get, you know. Yeah, I can't even, I, yeah, I just gasped. The, the Ark of the Covenant. And can you just bring that in here? And she, and I was like, was, I remember I was like, oh my God, that thing should be under glass, man. That's the Magna Carta. And, uh, he laid it out and he opened it up. He's like, look at these notes I made here. And it was like noted. And I was like, if I had a, if I had one of these at that point, if that existed, I would have taken pictures. It didn't exist. So I couldn't take pictures. And he just walked me through a few scenes and how he was seeing it. And it wasn't all answered. And if you knew one thing about Sid, he was an incredibly efficient director, like incredibly. And, um, and I remember he sort of talked me through that and we probably talked for like 45 minutes and I left and I said, all right, I have some idea of what I'm going to do. You know, and it was just the clarity of purpose. Now, do I wish I could have that conversation with him today and four or five films later? Like, I just didn't know enough, right? I was too young. Like, you don't know until you have that experience. And I would give a, a, a lot of money for that. Um, I'd give my $8,000. $8,000, I was going to say. <laughs> so yeah, I would use that money for anything. Um, and I think, so I, you know, to get back to the to question, I feel like, you know, you really want to spend time with your, uh, you know, your cinematographer and really just understand what do we got to get here? Like what's telling the story? Worry about that. A well-told story will win out over any style, any day. How many movies have you seen? We're like, wow, that's crazy. That looks so cool. I have no idea what that movie's about and I probably wouldn't watch it again, but there's some really cool shots on that. And I think like, especially starting out, just tell the story, just find what's at the heart. And then in that, you'll find those poetic moments. If you really understand it, you'll find those moments of sort of visual poetry and lyricism and they might be in really subtle ways it might be in uh, you know your actress's face it might be in a couple of extras off in the distance and it might be you know uh you know just in a, in a silent moment between two people and i feel like those are the discoveries but mm. early on i think too many people and look i think people do it as writers right how many scripts yeah. do we see from young writers where they're trying so hard to uh, either reinvent structurally or just impress in terms of dynamics between characters or the world. And after a while you're like, okay, what, what, what is this about? Like, I love some of these ideas, but where's the story? What's it? Where's the story? And I love that you're saying in terms of visual language, when you say tell the story, but you're saying, tell what the scene is about. He asked you, what is this scene about? That's how you know where to put your camera, right? Because people get mixed up in like, yes, it's the plot and tell the story, but you're also talking about emotionally what's happening, right? And look, the great, yes. And the great DPs uh, to that point, Meg, um, who you work with, they'll just want to dig into the script. My DP won't say, let's shot list. What are you thinking visually? What camera, what lens? You know, he'll just like, let's just go through the movie, scene by scene, line by line. Every DP I've ever worked with wanted that and just really understand. And those conversations, and guess what that starts to build? A visual tone. And off that visual tone, you can find a visual style. Mm 
right? But I think there's that process of really just understanding what is this little Bible that we've created for the show, for the movie? What is it telling us? Like, what can we learn from it? And maybe that's one of the tricks of being a writer director because you've been so close to it as a writer. I don't always get that advantage of coming to it fresh as a director with fresh eyes. I'm very cognizant of that. So even more so, I will rely sometimes on the people around me to um, surprise me with their insights and and challenging the scripts in ways that I hadn't um, hadn't had to deal with, you know, or hadn't come up with. Um, and that is, I think, a really that's a really interesting part of the process because it's um it's like it's like getting to know the script all over again. I love that. I love that so much. Thank you so much. Um, Tom, it's been so spectacular to have you here. Thank you. We are we always ask our our guests the same three questions at the end. Oh, so um, our first question is, what brings you the most joy when it comes to writing and or directing? Just really being in the pocket, regardless of where I am in on the process and just know that I'm just making something like I'm in it wherever I am, whether I'm in the writing stage, I'm committed to it. I'm fully in. I don't like being between projects even from the early stages of research or the final stages of editing, just being in that pocket, I feel uh, most at peace. Love that. Nice. What pisses you off? About the work. Um, about the work or about, yeah. I mean, about, 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 to, about other people. Yeah, about just, the world. Sorry. About, sorry. about so writing or directing. About writing or directing. Um, what pisses me off? Um, Hmm, that's a great question. Uh, but I don't know what comes to mind. And maybe I is carelessness, carelessness in my own work, uh, in the people I collaborate with. Uh, if there's a carelessness, because it, it feels like uh, you don't care. And if you don't care, go do something else. This is too hard. <laughs> and it takes too much work and effort. And there's enough people out there that do care. And I think it's the only way to make anything really decent. So there, if there's a carelessness that I sense feel leads has all kind of yes. you know, roots. Yes, yes, 100%. Yeah, I love that. And then it's funny, Tom, I'm picturing you right before Station Agent in Sydney Lumet's office. And this is kind of what this final question is about. But if you could go back in time and have a coffee with your younger self, sort of before your big career, what advice would you give that Tom? Hmm. Um, I don't know, you know, I feel like um, the journey has been for me such a kind of stumbling pitch. You know, I didn't plan a lot of this. I, I feel like some people are better at planning out their lives and careers than maybe I was. Uh, it's, it was it was a constant exploration. Um, I do remember my father, who is no longer alive. He was a businessman and um, he worked in New York City. And where I was living when I just started, got out of yellow, started to become a writer, an actor and a writer and ultimately a director. And I have these lunches with him. And he would say things to me like, are you networking? And I was in the throes of my young artistic life, right? And I was like, dad, you don't network. You don't network. You, you just got to work and you got to find. And I just, I couldn't hear it, you know? And looking back, I think I could have done more than that. And I don't mean in terms of forwarding my career, I don't mean that. I mean in like seeking out creative connections, 
finding artists whose work I just enjoy. I'm still not as good as I should be, but finding artists whose work, and there's so many people out there who probably, who I wish I could tell how much I enjoy their work. And I probably could, I'd do a better job of it. And every time that happens, I form a bond. And those bonds feed me so much. My friend community, I'm a real, I'm very connected to my family, but I'm very connected to my friends. And I think building a creative circle of friends that you really trust and admire is hugely important. And I think if I took my dad's note and got, and, and like looked beyond the language, uh, I would have been better off for it. Oh, so good. Answer. We're so into community. That is our, yeah. our rudder and theme of this show is community. I think that's the great thing about the show. I love that you guys are doing it. It feels very pure and honest and open and a wonderful place to come. I'm normally terrified of these things. I just, I just, um, I'm really cautious about talking about process. I don't know why. Sometimes mm. when I'm in it, I don't like to talk about it, you know, because yeah. it makes me self-conscious in a way. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, my wife and I would find ourselves, you know, in the megs, I reached out, like talking about your show and things that came up and she would have these discussions. And so here we are. Well, thank you so much for coming. It, it was a fantastic show, especially when you don't like to talk about process because you're so articulate, you're so insightful. You helped so many young emerging writers and pros like myself. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Tom, for being with us today. Uh, it, was, it was a real pleasure, really. Nice to see you all in chat. For more TSL support, come on over to the Facebook group where you could check in with uh, both emerging and pro writers, get your questions asked, connect. It's a really fun, supportive place to be. And you can also get your questions answered. <laughs> just asked okay i'm joking sorry do you want to say that again <laughs> ask questions and get them answered no i think it's fine we'll just put this okay. in the show it's fine okay <laughs> and if you haven't done so yet please uh write us a five-star review in apple Podcasts so other people can find us and remember you are not alone and keep writing <laughs>